everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're still stuck at home, which sucks, but this show is going to be great. we got a terrific lineup for you. Now, first and foremost, our very old friend and good friend, uh, John Crin, who's chef owner of Clarity in Vienna, uh, is is hitting the ball over the fence out there. We've got Clarity's general manager, Sam Schneblin, on us on with us. He's going to be talking about Clarity's Grammy nomination for wine program over the year. And we're also going to force Sam to name his favorite wine of the moment for these sultry summer days. Now, everybody knows that uh, last week, a massive explosion shook Beirut, killing and injuring thousands. Marcel Afram, who is the chef at Medan and Compass Rose, whose mother was born in Beirut, is, of course, very connected to what's happening in Lebanon. And she quick, uh, quickly worked with Chef Roro Asmar of Asmar's Mediterranean Foods to organize a huge fundraising effort. We're going to have both of them on the show later. Victoria Park, excuse me, Victoria Park is a family-friendly <laughs> outdoor pop-up and wine garden in the River Pavilion at the Reach. It's a collaboration between the culinary creative team of the Hilton Brothers and Chef Eric Bruner-Yang and the Urbane. Ian Hilton will be on with us to tell us all about it. And uh, I think it's a no-brainer at this point that Black business owners in America are facing unique challenges, including a access to credit and capital, even in normal times, if we ever return to normal times. And COVID-19 has exacerbated those challenges. To support Black-owned restaurants throughout the district, feed the Malik, half smoke, and raise the nation, uh, have organized a D.C. Black-owned restaurant sweepstakes, and Anella Malik is going to join us later in the show with details. But right now, we are going to talk to Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets, because there's all kinds of hoopla going on there. Hi, Deb. Hi, how are you? What's happening out there? Oh, gosh, it's uh, another great weekend and a little cooler, so we're looking forward to some cooler weather. Um, you know, that brings in maybe the beginning of the week, but we have all sorts of good things. You know, we're in the height of the season and I wanted to um, tell you a little bit about our home delivery system. I know that a lot of people um, have heard about it, but just wanted to mention it on air. Um, we are doing home delivery and we have some unique vendors on our home delivery that actually are, we have both vendors from the markets and vendors who are just uh, unique to home delivery. We have some excellent uh, beef people from Virginia, uh, Chapel Hill Lineback Beef, which is really cool. We have fish, mm -hmm. we have Vaughn cheeses. Um, and and those, are, Deb, those, are, those are only for delivery? Those, those, if you go on our website, you'll see the delivery vendors. Um, you go, it takes you to a site and you'll see the delivery vendors. Yeah, mm -hmm. we have um, very unique. You can get everything literally from soup to nuts now on the um, home delivery. How convenient. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is nice. Um, we still have people out there that don't come to the market because for one reason or another, they might, you know, have immune problems or things like that. But um, the home delivery is doing very well. We're delivering to Montgomery County and Upper Northwest and parts of D.C. 
Uh So um, that's really exciting. You can get all the fruits and vegetables. And then the other thing we have going on uh, today at the market is we have two of our sponsors who know how difficult it is to shop in the heat. So they are giving out uh, insulated bags. So Brightview Senior Living and Oarsman Volkswagen are both here with bags. And um, you can pick up a bag. They're free and put your groceries in it. And it keeps it nice and cool during the heat. Great. So those are all the exciting things we've got going on this week. Excellent. All right, Deb, tell everybody where they can find uh, you and Mitch with uh, Central Farm Markets. You can find us online at centralfarmmarkets.com. We have three locations, uh, Pike and Rose, uh, Pike Central Market, Bethesda, downtown Bethesda and Vienna at the Church of the Holy Comforter. Excellent. Thanks so much, Deb. Be safe out there. Thank you. Take care, okay. Nikki. Bye. You know yeah, what? you too. I know it's terrible, but when I was in college, I had a Holy Comforter. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Schneeblin, how are you? I'm well, Mr. Hi. All right, so I, so, I think I okay, was... Okay, David, you've done enough talking. No, so I just I'm want gonna, to say, I think I was in, in the first service at, at he Clarity. He hit his quota by half yet. <laughs> I know, my God, it it's exhausting. Um, so let's talk about Clarity. We've sure. known John Cran for a really long time, like mm-hmm. 29, 41 days. Um, right. And I've had the pleasure of dining at Clarity, but it's it's really been, um, you guys have done so much. You've been ahead of the game in this COVID crisis. Let's talk about what you guys are doing out there right now. Well, it's been a, it's been a race since the beginning to adapt and modify and, and see how you can, you know, survive in, in the new environment and the new environment keeps changing. Um, so even going back to the beginning, when we were initially closed, as far as indoor dining with all restaurants, uh, we had to figure out how to do to go, um, and, you know, chef had a website up the next day and we immediately pivoted our business to, to all to go. So, you know, it's, it's sort of like keeping up with the crin is, is the game (laughs) play here because, um, you know, he's always thinking new ideas, uh, new solutions, and that's what it's been since we reopened for dining. We've taken over the parking lot. Uh, we're using extra spaces around the building that we've gotten verified to use um, with you know separate AC, uh, separate bathrooms, things like that. But the key has been spacing everybody out and outdoor dining and mm-hmm. immediately giving those options to people to establish trust and to make people feel safe right away. Um, so to take advantage of that right away, was was huge for us. Well, what kind of what kind of stress does that put on service if they've got if they're running to different locations and quite a bit. It, it spreads you it spreads you very thin. Um, so you know there's there's some logistical difficulties with that. You just need to be a little bit more organized uh, with with how you direct service and and the places you put people in. Um, but you are talking about you know running food 150 yards versus 20 yards taking that mm-hmm. bottle that bottle of water 150 yards versus 20 yards um in 95 degree heat uh with with high humidity so it's very difficult but at the same time we're we're very excited and very happy to be as busy as we are the the community of vienna has lifted us up um through this whole thing and we've stayed incredibly busy so Mm -hmm. it's tough on the legs at times but uh always always good at the end of the night well, let's talk a little bit about your wine program. Um, sure. You know, you're a Rammy nominee. 
Um, we, we know from the Rammies uh, and from the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington that they really did not want to let it go this year, right? Because they announced the Rammy. The Rammy nominees were actually supposed to be announced a week after everything shut down. And Kathy and her team, Kathy Hollinger and her team were like, we're not going to not do this. So they announced the nominees in, I think, mid of late April, and then, or maybe the first week of May. And then now there's still going to be a celebration. Uh, it's slated for September 20th. Um, it will probably be a lot virtual, but hopefully maybe something for the nominees. What does it mean to you guys to have that nomination and how do you feel your wine program plays into that? Sorry, there's a lot of chefs running around. That's um, okay. It, it feels great. Um, it's fantastic. It's, it's great to get that recognition. Uh, you know, right now is, is a time where competition um, is sort of evaporated between us. And it's always been a collaborative community that supports each other. Um, you know, it's, it's very, very tight knit, the, the restaurant industry, especially in the DMV. Um, mm -hmm. but you're, you're more focused on, on helping each other, lifting each other up. And making sure everybody survives this. So the Ramy, the Ramy is a great, you know, validation for us that we were doing something well with the wine program. Um, but we're more just excited to to be able to celebrate the success of restaurants that are still alive and still churning right now because it mm -hmm. is so virtual, not virtual, win or, or not win. I feel like I'll take it. Forget about COVID for a little while and and you know enjoy ourselves take a day off and so sam talk a little bit about the wine program where do you guys put your focus so we we have a unique restaurant here changing our menu every day so the wine the wine program has to be just as dynamic um you you have essentially your your tasting menu with your pairings and your traditional wine list the tasting menu is a fantastic avenue to to introduce things that you wouldn't normally be able to sell to people or introduce to them. You know, you can, you can fold in a Garnacha Negre or something like that, that somebody might not be familiar with or order, but since they got the tasting menu, they're going to go with that. Um, our, our wine list, I have about 60 bottles on red and white, um, and then about 15 by the glass, which I rotate through every two weeks, I'd say mm -hmm. each of the wine changes. How so, are there, are there regions that you're really hot for right now? During the summer, you know, you, you highlight certain things. You have your New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs, uh, your Santorini Asserticos, um, your Sancerres that are going to sell very well, your, your California Sonoma Napa Pinot Noirs. Um, you know, it's, so you, you do go with the weather and, and the time of year. Well, Definitely. what about Virginia wines? What have you got there? We, uh, we have a few, few Virginia wines that we work with pretty frequently. We have Delaplane, um, mm -hmm. Last Spirit De Nova, which is the most Northern Virginia name for anything ever because they're not French, but Nova. So they added that touch of class. And uh, mm -hmm. we work with Barbersville. We have the Octagon. Um, we are actually the exclusive uh, restaurant with Horton for their Petite Mensang, uh, which mm -hmm. won the Governor's Cup. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So it's fantastic wine. So Virginia wine is, is something we bring in here and there. It's it's not something that has a lot of respect within the wine community. People tend to write it off. Um, you know. Do you think that's really still the case? 
given, you know, RDB and Barbersville and um, I mean, the the sheer quantity of wineries that now exist in Virginia, Linden. People are, are not even aware of the quantity of wine produced in the state of Virginia is huge. Mm -hmm. um, That's fourth. funny because you're talking about Virginians. Right. Yeah. Virginia's so, the number, they're tied with Texas. They're the number five wine producing state in the country. Five. There you go. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a combination of accessibility, um, which is, you know, they've, they've had issues with direct distribution um, with mm -hmm. the state from, you know, uh, producer to consumer. And, uh, you know, that, that has caused a little bit of a price hike um, for a while. And, and people just haven't really gotten into it. Now, Virginia wines, as, as great as they can be, your entry level wine your first wines that, that people get into when they start to drink Pinot Noir, Cab, Chardonnay, Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. These grapes do not grow exceptionally well in Virginia. Virginia's mm -hmm. tends towards grapes with a thicker skin, you know, like a Petit Mansin or a Nebbiolo or Sangiovese, which they can grow fantastically, and they do. Um, but it makes it harder for the entry level, the, the introduction to Virginia wine, because people aren't familiar with, with a lot of these varietals that, that thrive in the state. And I think that that's a really, that's a very, very good point. Hey, so listen, we're going to have to say goodbye to you, but we want to thank you so much for joining us today on the show. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you at the Rammies and congrats on your Rammy nom. Please thank tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you. Thank you. We're at uh, Vienna, Virginia at Clarity, 442 mm -hmm. Maple Avenue East, seven days a week. We'll see you there. Excellent. Thanks All so right, much for joining Schmidlin, us. Thanks. Thank you, David. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, I think it's no secret to anybody who's had their eyes open that last week there was a horrific explosion in the center of Beirut, and many people were killed. Many more people, thousands of people were maimed, and it really destroyed a, 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 a community at the heart of Beirut. Uh, Marcel Afram, whose mom was born in Beirut, obviously has a connection there. She's the chef at Maidan and Compass Rose. And she joined with her friend, Chef Roro Asmar from the Lebanese American uh, uh, marketplace, Asmar's Mediterranean Foods, to organize a fundraising effort, one of many around the world. And they both join us now. Chef and Chef, hello. Welcome to Foodie in the Hi. News. Well, I want to jump in, David. What's what's really amazing about what the two of you did is that I, you didn't miss a beat. I, I think it was in less than ten hours that you you had launched your initiative. You had decided what you wanted to do and went with it. So tell us how you guys came together and how that happened. Uh, Marcelo, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Well, uh, Roro and, Ro and I got to know each other uh, through DMing on Instagram and I think developed a really beautiful um, friendship and got to know each other a little bit better. And obviously our common uh, thing was the fact that we were both Middle Eastern and um, connections in Lebanon and um, the food around it. And so, you know, we were talking about this pretty much, I think, minutes after it happened. And... Um, it obviously affected both of us greatly. And, um, you know, I think that something that we had both mentioned before, and we were both involved with um, making 
food for Bakers Against Racism as well. And I, there's no doubt mm-hmm. that, that was an inspiration um, as well. And it was like, what can we do? We have to do something. This is so catastrophic. Like we have a platform and um, let's just rally, you know, and our friends are behind us. And there's like short of being able to raise funds to get money there to people who are on the grounds, like, uh, which is absolutely necessary because obviously the Lebanese government didn't step in right away. So it was in the hands of people. It's still in the hands of the people, you know, Um, and uh, Lebanon and the catastrophe that happened there, specifically this port in Beirut, um, is such an essential uh, zone for access to the Levantine and such crucial parts of the Middle East with people that are already displaced. Whether it's- I think that's a really important point that a lot of people don't realize that it's not not just the magnitude of that explosion, which was absolutely gut wrenching, but it's where it happened. Yeah, in the city and so sort of. Right. And, and yeah. the point that people use to bring stuff in. Yeah, yeah. not important export, but it's also where, you know, the majority of the youth go to de-stress. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, they were dealing with COVID uh, before this explosion. They're still dealing with that now. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that's where, you know, the, the nightlife was. That's where the bars and the clubs and, you know, the, the modernized history of Lebanon is where they appeal to the tourists and to the youth at the same time. So it's a, it's a very hustling and bustling area where there's a lot of people in and out, whether for work, for import, export, and or for just, you know, family time, for time to sit down and have meza or sit down and have, a, you know, a cup of coffee with a manushi and just, you know, talk to each other and, and you know, decompress during all, the, during all this strife and struggling with the government and with its people and with, you know, all the different factions going on. So, I mean, it's really just a big blow to the heart of Lebanon. Well, what makes it even worse is that, I mean, Lebanon has seen its share of uh, wartime Heartache. misery over the last, you know, many decades. And this is something that didn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. It was just stupidity and laziness and, and ineptitude and probably some money exchanging hands that left that stuff there for years. Well, since we cannot solve that problem, the problem we can solve is getting money into the hands of people who need it to help them. Because while there has been a lot of death surrounding this tragedy, the amount of people who are hurt because of glass shattering and buildings collapsing and et cetera, that's that's where we need to to really send funds to. So let's talk about the fundraiser, what it is and how people can participate. Um, So we decided on the name Betna, which is like Mm -hmm. such a symbolic thing. Actually, it's actually uh, not to get too nerdy on you, but the, no, go crazy. Go the crazy. prefix bit is often used even in the English language to represent towns like Bethesda is actually, you know, like Bethesda. So right. it's our, like the house of or our house. And even in Arabic, when you're introducing someone into their, into your home, you know, it's like you're inviting them and, and incorporating them into your house and it's their house, you know? So it just, the word itself felt really symbolic to what we were doing. And immediately, I think, uh and I were like where do we send money we were sending each other the same links and it was like Red Cross and uh the disaster relief fund um which were actually you know immediately on the ground uh because of the COVID situation the biggest Uh issue um that the that the Lebanese Red Cross had to address was the fact that people were being turned away from hospitals um and so you know they needed immediate blood drives they were setting up camps uh trying to do this in you know glass glass torn and shattered areas and so Uh 
uh, obviously they needed as much funding as possible. So I think that was the main one we agreed on. And then the disaster relief fund, which is having a huge impact right now, um, you know, 300,000 people lost their homes. And that's like the low estimate in the first estimate. So mm -hmm. what, do, what do we do with that? You know, you get, right. you get money in the hands of the people. And I think that's the most important thing when uh, trying to organize um, in whatever capacity is like, you get it there, they know what to do, you know, they are doing the resiliency of the Lebanese people has been tested time and time again. And, you know, they keep on rising up and rebuilding. And uh, we know that, you know, just, you can trust people when you give them the what they need to do the right thing with it. And that's uh, the disaster relief fund was uh, in particular, uh, doing that for them. Um, mm -hmm. There are other organizations, which uh, the Lebanese Food Bank, that um, some people brought up that we knew directly that they are working with. So uh, we have an additional list of recommendations that are food related. Um, mm -hmm. But how are you uh, engaging yeah. within the restaurant community? So how how, how like, does your fundraiser if, work? If you yeah. we understand Bakers Against Racism, but for people who may not remember how that worked, because you use yeah. that as your model. Can you explain how you went from just the two of you to now? I don't, how many restaurants are involved now? Plus and, and yeah. count, leave. I mean, you know, what, what, what started as me and Marcio kind of, you know, bonding over our, our, our shared misery for what happened. Uh, we mm -hmm. just kind of ourselves being Middle Eastern chefs, being in Middle Eastern concepts uh, with Middle Eastern food. We're like, okay, let's pick an item from our menus, from what we produce. Let's get those out there and donate a, pro, a portion of the proceeds directly to the Lebanese Red Cross or whatever vetted and uh, proven organization that we had we had done research on. And then, mm -hmm. you know, using our connections in the restaurant industry, posting it on media, you know, similar to Bakers Against Racism. You know, I mean, obviously, credit where credit's due. They gave us a lot of inspiration. Uh, we had taken part in that ourselves. So we kind of just were like, you know, as chefs, as artists, using our medium as best as possible during times where a lot of us are just struggling to survive. Uh, you know, expressing ourselves through our food. We wanted to continue being true and honest to what we do, to the creativity we put out and the culture that comes through on our plates and using our food to do so. And because of that, because of the media, because of our connection to the restaurant industry, we just received just an outpouring of love and an outpouring of support. I mean, the list goes on, the Green Zone in DC, Lucky Buns. I mean, we're reaching Nashville and Richmond. Uh, I mean, you know, everyone just, you know, it's it's really just beautiful to see everyone. Oh, it's, it's spreading, right? It's yeah. Uh, sorry, it's spreading, right? It's rolling nationally, like more and more people. I mean, given both of your connections, mm -hmm. like I would assume that people outside of the DMV are now participating in it, right? Yeah. Or still can touch on that more. I mean, we've got we've got people reaching out to us from all over the place, and and I it's it's magical and beautiful. I mean, I just I'm at a loss for words most of the times because, like Marcy pointed out, it was just a conversation between us over media that we were just both very hurt. You know, we're both Lebanese. We both have parents from Lebanon and family and stuff. So it just hit us so hard that we just had to do something. And though, you know, you don't get into the restaurant industry to make money. You get into it because it's your love, it's your passion. It's what you want to do. And you, you want to share that love with people. So to be able to, you know, I don't know, mobilize that and use that in such an effective way with, you know, the the, the minimal means that we have, the ingredients and, and the kitchens that we have, it's it's a blessing to see so many come to, to the aid of Lebanon, not only just us, but to Lebanon and the Lebanese people. Well put. Mm -hmm. I think so, it speaks a lot to our local DC community as well. And just the support that we find amongst our colleagues, you know, this uh -huh. is like, so it's just so it's for DC being such a competitive city on and everything else, you know, I mean, you guys know, like 
the camaraderie that we find amongst our colleagues here is just so resounding. And the fact that they were immediately on board, they were so supportive and it's such tough times for everybody, but we all just found a way to do something with the platform that we have and that's food and also, you know, it was just fantastic. Well, give us the nitty gritty, like how does it work and how do the donations happen and all of that? Yeah, cause we have about a minute left, uh, like just a little bit of time left. Sure. So. Yeah. So um, essentially we're letting every restaurant be kind of independent as far as um, raising the funds and donating the funds. We just found a donor who's matching all of the funds and I'll be sending all of the um, uh, participating chefs an email concerning it. But essentially the donation will go through their organization and go directly to the disaster relief fund or the Lebanese Red Cross. Are you allowed to say who it is? Uh, not yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But so you'll let us know. You'll let yeah, us know. We will, yeah. we will get involved, please reach out to Marcel or myself, you know, DM us, email us, whatever way you can get it to contact us. If you want to join, if you're a restaurant, food maker in any facet of, of the sorts, if you want to provide anything to offer to help, please reach out to us. You know, it's not just for restaurants, not just for chefs. I mean, whatever help we can give to Lebanon, the Lebanese people, I mean, we'll, we'll take Exactly. Do we have well, a I website? That's... No. No, no. Babe, this is... Yeah, it just started overnight through. This is grassroots. No, no, no. But I mean, uh, you know, to to contact you guys, uh, if people are out there listening, what's the oh, best way to do it? Feel at Marcel underscore G, and you can reach me at uh, at Chef Rowers World on Instagram through our yeah. direct thing, very active, or through our emails, which are through our social media platforms through the email link. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right, that's the best way to do it. So, hey, so for people who did not participate in Bakers Against Racism, I mean, shame on you. But what was so interesting uh, about it, and we had Paula, who was one of the founders of it on our show, was that they did integrate. It wasn't just the restaurant pastry chefs or you know bakeries. Yeah. It was the layperson and people all around the country participated. And I, I, I hope for you both that, uh, and it already looks that way, that the same momentum takes place. And now that I know that, you know, the layperson can participate, that's my, that's my new shout out. Like anybody can participate. We can all raise funds for that cause. We all saw that video, all those videos. I mean, they're gut-wrenching. So I just want to thank you both for taking the lead um, and doing, doing what's the right. Work. It's amazing. The hard, the hard work. work. Exactly. So much. I mean, so, I have to give more credit to Marcio. She really took hold of this thing and communicated with a lot of people and kind of really built the structure around this. I'm just happy to support her in this whole thing and hope, you know, support Lebanon and, and entirely. So do you well, agree with Roro? You're a very sweet Lebanese person and giving me all the credit, but <laughs> you, Roro, you've been a huge help in all of this. Well, we want to thank you both for the work that you're doing. We really appreciate you both. And uh, please stay in touch with us. Let us know how else we can help further your cause because this is not going to be short term. Um, this is going to be, we're all in it for the long haul. So uh, thank you both for joining us this morning. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, everybody, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. You know, usually when the name Hilton comes up, people think the hotel chain or they think the Hilton sisters. And I'm happy to think that. But there's some other Hiltons, Ian and Eric, that are local entrepreneurs in the restaurant world. And they they own a bunch of the restaurants that we love. Shea Billy, Park DeVille. The Brighton Shea Billy sued. Shea, Shea Billy, Billy sued. sued. Sorry, Sam sorry. Bright. Shea Billy sued. Okay. Um, and um, they, they've got a new project coming up called Victoria Park, and we've got the. Urbane. Okay, it's not a new project coming up. It's open. Well, I'm I'm, I'm coming up to talk about. Good Lord, Nikki. Okay. 
All right, Ian, how are you, man? Hey, I'm Ian. good. I, I could listen to you two argue probably all morning. So back <laughs> at it, please. Can I tell you, this has been 25 years of her being wrong. I know, it's tough. It's it tough. tough. Sure. It's so, really tough. You and your brother have done a great job sort of spotting the next on the rise, you know, community neighborhood to come and dropping restaurants in there that have become neighborhood hotspots. Um, how do you do mm-hmm. that? How do you how do you roll the dice when everybody else fails to do that right? Ah, uh, jeez. Um, you know, I have to give more of the credit to my brother on that one. I mean, we are both, you know, we've lived here almost all of our lives. He just happens to have, you know, been on the planet seven years longer than I have. And he has always, you know, since the age of, you know, 15, when he was DJing at the fifth column, I mean, he knows the city very well. Um, and he just can, he can look at a neighborhood and think that it's, you know, on the rise. And that has given us the ability to, to get into neighborhoods before the rents have gotten sort of out of control. Could you and as I can over? tell you in a pandemic, uh, you know, having, having rents in the right place is pretty much all that matters at this point. So oh, I think, I think that's been it. Uh, you know, that's how it happened on 14th. And that's, that's certainly how it went down at ninth and you as well. Mm-hmm. So. And let's talk about, um, so you have a partnership now with Eric Bruner Yang, who is a good mm-hmm. friend of ours. Um, yep. We had him on recently talking about the power of 10, you know, like when, when we were like yep. pandemic pandemic mm-hmm. um what are we now and, but now so now you guys are partnering with him on not just <clears throat> one project but kind of a variety of projects right yeah well I, i've known eric uh you know pre since pre-toki days i mean when we opened u street music hall a zillion mm-hmm. years ago when he was trying to make a few bucks uh to open toki um that was how i got to know him and i i became immediately enamored with his just as a person the guy that he is and and Mm -hmm. his his artistic creativity is just is something that you you're drawn to and um we 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 always knew we were going to do a lot of things together and we had a lot of stops and starts and and now um you know we finally opened our our you know a place together at abc pony and we just really started to kind of marry our companies together um, because going forward, I, I think Eric and I have, have definitely, Eric, my brother, I'm speaking about now, and believe <laughs> me, those conference calls get confusing. But, um, you know, it, we, we want to bring more food shops to our organization. And Eric is everyone, you know, every up and coming chef, not every, of course, but I, I'm, I'm prone to hyperbole, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's, people are drawn to him, um, as a mentor and he gets a lot of young people, um, that are trying to be, you know, trying to get, uh, their, their foot in the door. Um, and, and he does a great job of, of giving them a platform to kind of graduate. And, and we have a lot of places where, um, our food programming can certainly be better. So mm-hmm. uh, it just made perfect sense to to start working well, with Eric. Well, if I if I can jump in here, he is um, a super kind human being. Um, yes. On top of being a talented chef, you know, he's mm-hmm. just um, he's just a thoughtful person. Well, I was um, gonna, as long as we're throwing bouquets at Eric, the thing yes. is, he's a lot like Jose because he's not just a talented chef. He is a at the very very bottom of Eric. 
is a really sharp businessman. That's also I mean, true. And and so yeah, so I mean, and the fact that he's willing to share that with people is great. But enough of Eric Ian. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about you. Let's stop. Right. That's not a drinking game. So that's yeah, um, Eric Peter Yang show. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about the Reach. So the sure. Reach is the new facility uh, at the Kennedy Center. It's mm -hmm. so beautiful. Was this a partnership you were pre-COVID looking to get into? Yeah. So we actually, about a year ago, I guess, um, we had a contract with um, the Kennedy Center to do a, a small cafe inside the the primary building at the Reach, which is um, the Skylight Pavilion, I think. And mm -hmm. then there was this additional building, which was really the apple of our eye, the uh, the River Pavilion, which is where we we have the Victoria Park sort of centered around. Um, we were we were going to do a, a little coffee shop, which we we did open in the Reach, mm -hmm. and then. Um, we were slowly planning to roll out the river pavilion to open in March or April timeframe. And I don't know, something came out of nowhere and prevented us from doing that, uh, <laughs> called uh, COVID-19. So, uh -huh. um, we, you know, we hit the brakes. Um, obviously the Kennedy center pretty much went into a shutdown and then, um, for about, I guess for about a month, I lobbied them to allow us to kind of go forward with doing something outdoors because it, it just made so much sense to have, you know, outdoor spaces clearly at a premium. It feels extremely comfortable there, uh -huh. um, being outside and, and feeling very safe and having a lot of, you know, kind of room to spread out. And they, um, when I when I pitched them on the idea of uh, of kind of a, a pop up winery at least from a look and feel standpoint they they thought that that was something that um th that would work and they, mm -hmm. they let us proceed so here we are so uh, let's explain a lot of fun yeah so let's explain like very quickly sort of what's there and how people can um access it <laughs> yeah the access is the funny part so you know i i certainly recommend i mean it is it is right at you know sort of the we're at the intersection of, you know, where, where the, the bike and um, pedestrian walkways are along um, Rock Creek Parkway, right at the, the Roosevelt Bridge. There, there's just a, most of our traffic comes from people just literally walking off from one of those paths, right? Um, mm -hmm. You can certainly drive there and park in one of the garages at, say, like the Watergate uh, or on the street over towards closer to Foggy Bottom. A lot of people will Uber in there. It's like you're going to the Kennedy Center and then you just walk to the River Pavilion, which is, as one would probably guess, over by the river. Um, do you need reservations? Can you just walk up? And, and is this a place for, like, what's available to eat? We have about a minute left. Like, what, what's yeah, so, our menu options? Walk us through it. Yes, it is. Yes, absolutely. We, we run a, a large sort of concession building. That's where all the point of sale is. We have ice cream. We have... You know, of course, uh, some mainstays for, you know, winery type food like charcuterie plates and cheese plates. We have a couple sandwiches. We have a delicious salmon riette that we that we prepare over at uh, Chez Billy Sud. And then this week, which is really what we're excited about, is we started our um, family meal series, which is a visiting chef every week doing a, a one plate walk up and grab um, situation. And Eric this week is doing uh, delicious lemongrass wings served with Yum. a cucumber salad, a macaroni salad, and um, 
and uh, some Texas toast. Oh my God, we're all over Eric, that. <laughs> Maybe and we Eric should go tonight. You should. Eric's going to be curating that. We'll do it every uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the rest of the summer. We could. Uh, we hope to do a, a big paella bake. Maybe we'll do some lobster rolls. It's just it, we have the yeah. freedom to do a lot of different things. It's wonderful. Excellent. All right. So um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, we can't wait to go and check it out. Just tell everybody where they can find information on Victoria Park. Uh, just the website, victoriaparkdc.com. Uh, you can get mm -hmm. all the information on how to access. The menus are online, and you can uh, keep up to date with what our, our weekly family meal special is going to be. And uh, there's room for everybody, plenty of food for everyone. And bring your family, bring your dogs. Uh, great time out in the sun. You so. do not want us to bring our dog. I no, you bring your dog. Go ahead. <laughs> Go All ahead. right, Ian. Thanks so much. I really appreciate the time, uh, Nikki. David, take care, uh, you all. Take care. Bye. bye bye. That was Ian Hilton. This is David and Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, everybody. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We are joined by Anella Malik, and she is a powerhouse. She's a mm -hmm. food blogger in, in the regular world. If it ever exists again, she was and is a food blogger, but she's also a community advocate based in DC. And she's really best known for her work highlighting black owned restaurants. And uh, she created a directory of local black owned restaurants open during the COVID-19 crisis. But she's really focused on uh, the problem that black business owners in America have uh, getting access to credit and capital, even in regular times, if they ever come back, that's been an issue, and COVID-19 has exacerbated those challenges, and she's joining us to talk about it. So, hi, Anella. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so good to have you on air. So, you and I talked on the phone earlier. We've mm -hmm. been following each other on social media for a while. Um, let's talk about just a little bit of your background, because it's so interesting, and it was really the launch of Feed the Malik. So, let's talk about how you got there. Yeah. So I started blogging as a way to push myself to try new things. I was living abroad. I wanted to get out of the bubble and go to places that, you know, not just English speaking expats went to. Where were you living? You were living, but wait, you were living in Jordan. Amon, Jordan. Like, yeah. Yes. It's not like you were living in like, you know, England. <laughs> Not that there's True. I was in Jordan, it, but you know what I mean? It's totally different. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of, of, you know, English speaking bloggers that had materials about Jordan that covered anything, but maybe the top three to five spots. So I wanted to push myself. And through that process, I realized, especially food is a really powerful medium and that there was so much more to explore than what you might see on the listicles of, you know, the top five or 10 best restaurants, best hotels, et cetera. So when I moved back to DC, I kept that focus on really pushing myself to try new things. And that pushed me to explore businesses owned by minorities and marginalized people, particularly black people. Um, DC has such a large black population and a huge black business population. But if you read those like Eater, Thrillist articles, those listicles, you might see one black owned restaurant. You might see one mm -hmm. or two black owned business businesses, but that's it. No, it's very, very true. Um, and oh. uh, it's, it's really because of lack of research and lack of, you know, it's, you know this now, since you've been doing this for a while, we get hit every day with thousands of pitches and press releases and, mm -hmm you have all of this in front of your face and you really have to 
you have to turn around. The only way to see what else is out there is to not see what people are spoon feeding you, which um, you took the initiative on. So let's talk about sort of the um, things that you created on Feed the Malik that really, you know, like once uh, the Black Lives Matters protests re-engaged after uh, the tragic killing of George Floyd, you were really, you already had everything in place. So you were mm -hmm. able to, you know, elevate what you were doing. Let's talk about some of those articles that you have on your blog. Yeah. So I started writing and working on, you know, supporting local black owned food businesses. Cause I'm a food blogger. That's my niche. Um, far before this current movement for Black Lives. This is what I care about. And this is a community that I'm deeply invested in. So I created a directory of local Black-owned restaurants and food businesses open during the COVID-19 crisis. And I started that in late March, and I believe it published in the first week of April. I also have, you know, a couple other articles that I wrote about why this issue is so important. And David, your intro was 100% correct. COVID-19 has has exacerbated existing racial inequalities that you know structural inequality plays out in the business arena as well. So that's what we were seeing, you know, at the beginning of the crisis and I wanted to do something about that. Through the last few months, I've also worked to build a network of resources that are available for free to black-owned restaurants and food businesses to try to fill the gap, right? If they lack access to credit and capital, then they likely don't have marketing budgets and they don't have a PR person to send these pitches. So they might be missed in the roundup of, you know, the 25 best whatever restaurants in DC, even if they're mm -hmm. outstanding. So I pair these businesses with uh, local professional service providers from photographers. Right now I'm working with a web designer to help a new business get their website off the ground things like that. And these people offer these services for free. And I basically serve as a matchmaker to help black owned businesses in need find the resources that they can use. Well, I was going to say that that's, amazing. I mean, that that's exactly the problem because all of those, I would say, and I'm, I'm guessing about 90% of all those pitches that Mickey gets come from PR people, mm -hmm. not from, you know, totally they jacked do. up and ready to roll, you know, chef owners and all of that. So, um, I mean, you know, I mean, where do you get these resources? Do you go to the universities, to the uh, marketing and public relations schools, or is it just practitioners that are out there that are willing to, to help? So far, it's just been practitioners who want to help. And, you know, that's been really heartening to see that locals in the community who do this work, who are photographers, who work in marketing, realize that there's a need and they're willing to donate their time. Um, and so I created a, a database and I really just kind of see who's available, where are they located, what can they offer, and in relation to the restaurant and what they need. That's great. Uh, well, I don't want to miss your latest initiative, which is pretty uh, incredible. Um, so you partnered with Half Smoke. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about uh, your sweepstakes. Yeah. So um, Julie, actually, I have to give her credit. The sales and events manager at Half Smoke Restaurant came up with an idea. She wanted to do something fun and creative to support local Black-owned restaurants. And so she brought me in and uh, Raise Nation, which is a, an events you know, startup, mm -hmm. 
to work on some sort of initiative. And this is what we came up with. So it ends August 16th, but from now through August 16th, if you visit any of the nine participating black owned restaurants in DC, there's a QR code that you can just scan on your phone and it'll take you right to um, an online submission form to enter to win prizes in our sweepstakes. And Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I want to emphasize is that we have really cool prizes from local food businesses, from the Washington Wizards, who they were very graciously donated some swag. Wait for but we're Kane. hoping <laughs> Kane, yes. we like Kane. Oh my God, Kane is amazing. <laughs> well, and so the you know this is also something we hope this can be a model, a test run, and then we could give the model to other cities, other types of businesses who want to do something similar. Sure. Um, so, you know, we're really hoping that the community gets involved. And so far, we've had a great response. How hard was it to institute, like, the QSR code and integrate that? Because um, I know more and more restaurants are sort of adding that as a way to, in COVID, so that they don't have to print up menus or have mm-hmm. menus so people can just use it. But was, for some of the smaller restaurants, was that difficult? Was it hard to get everybody on board? So the cool part about the QR code is that we created the code, the organizers, it's, it's free to create one. It's really easy online. And then we sent it to them, right? We wanted to make this an easy lift easy. for the restaurants. So they don't have to, to participate. They didn't have to offer anything for free, offer any discounts or put in any mm-hmm. labor. It really mm-hmm. was just, you know, they had to respond to our emails. <laughs> and do you think of the restaurants that um, are on your list, who would you love to point out? Because I've, like some of these restaurants, you know, get a lot of, you know, Peter and King gets a lot of attention, mm-hmm. uh, but, and DC City Smokehouse um, and Half Smoke. I want to know about lots. the Kitchen Jerk. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is there some restaurants that you can just sort of point people to that maybe are off the beaten path? Yeah, so I would say the Kitchen Jerk is a little bit off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Um, it is amazing. My husband and I ordered carry out from there a couple weeks ago and we were just so impressed. The food is really creative. You know, it has that Caribbean jerk flavor, but they also have really cool vegan options as well. And it's, mm-hmm. it's black owned and women owned and they're yeah. operating, I believe, out of Mess Hall, which is a culinary. They're right near Mess Hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 They're, it's an incubator. They do amazing things. Oh, oh, they're because mm-hmm. they're, they're on Edgewood. So they're in Mess Hall. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's one I would like to highlight and also fish scale, which is in Shaw. It's close to half smoke. Um, and that's a family owned restaurant who we've had makes... him on the show. We had him on when he opened the, the food's best amazing. crab cakes I've had. <laughs> I know the food's really good. Absolutely. Um, wait, wait, and wait. Then tell... yes. One more roaming rooster. Oh, I mean, so this is, this is not a restaurant that needs more promo because they're right. You know, they're basically famous locally, but they are an incredible fried chicken sandwich shop. And I also have to say the owners are so welcoming and down to earth and really nice people. Um, but I love their Nashville hot chicken sandwich, even though they're more famous for their honey butter fried chicken sandwich. Right. Oh okay. Well, I'm this is amazing. Drooling. So how can people find out? Where can they go? What's the best way for everybody to participate? in this sweepstakes? So the easiest thing to do is go to my blog, feedthemalik.com. Mm-hmm. On the homepage, you can click to open the rules for the sweepstakes to see the participating restaurants. That's the easiest way. And we really wanted to make it simple and accessible for everyone. 
So go there, check it out, see if, you know, you want to order from one of these restaurants and Mm -hmm. really hope that this can be the start of a longer term initiative in the DC region. I hope so. It's amazing. Um, And just lastly, what do you have coming up for you? What can we look forward to seeing on Feed the Malik? So I'm actually working on a project to uh, basically to make Feed the Malik profitable. I'll be honest, because I've done all of this work in the past, primarily for free. Hundreds of hours of free labor have gone into the directory, into matching businesses with resources. So I'm working to move towards a model where I have the funds to do something I've always wanted to do, which is Mm -hmm. create original guides to Black-owned restaurants in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, something similar to one of those huge, you know, listicles you'll see in Eater or Thrillist, but that's only Black-owned restaurants broken up by category, you know, vegan, vegetarian, this one's led by a Black chef, this one, these are fine dining, and these are great for cocktails um, with original photography, but, you know, that requires funding. Funding. So how are you going to raise it? Uh, I am launching a Patreon. Uh, as of Monday, that'll go wide. I'm launching a subscription model on Patreon. And I think that that's probably the most sustainable way to do this. And so much of my work is locally focused. My God, you're smart. Yes, excellent. Well, we use, well, if we can help you any way possible, send us the information. We'll make sure it gets up on the site. Um, and let's bring you back in a couple of months. You'll tell us what the status is. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully, you know, you're in process. So. This initiative is amazing. All the work you have done is really inspiring. And we want to thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Tell everybody again where they can find you on social and online. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. This was awesome. You can Mm -hmm. find me on Instagram at Feed the Malik. And that's feed, like feed someone. The Malik is M as in Mary, A-L-I-K, because people Mm -hmm. always wonder how to spell it. And my website is the same, feedthemalik.com. Those are the best ways to find me. Excellent. Well, they are incredible resources. uh, And also follow her on Instagram, where uh, you can watch all of her uh, eating adventures as well. (laughs) It's true. Because I follow you. We have to sit and watch you eat? (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you'll find some great spots. I want to go to the rooster. I was going to say, if you followed her on Instagram, you would be be fully well aware about roaming rooster. But anyway, (laughs) moving on. Thank you, Anella. Thank you so much. So this is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. So much is happening out in the D.C. metro area, and there are so many ways for you to participate, whether it's helping Black-owned businesses, whether it's participating in um, the uh, fundraiser that uh, Marcel and Chef Rohr are doing to raise funds for um, Lebanon, uh, or whether you want to go to Victoria Park. There's so many ways to really enjoy what's happening in the city. Please wear a mask, social distance. Don't be stupid, stupid. And support your local restaurants. We'll be back next week.